Rooted in Revenue with your host today, Susan Finch. Susan Finch here, your host today for Rooted in Revenue. And usually we're talking about ways to generate sales, keep our clients happy, doing it through marketing, social outreach. But there are other pieces as to the structure of your business that can really affect revenue. And so I brought on one of my most trusted resources of everything hosting and security and site development and app development. I have known Michael Blood for about, I don't know, 20 years. Close to 20 years. Yeah, man. And he's somebody that I've always been able to just know if he says it's true, it's true. And I know that if I'm in a sticky wicket with security, I know I can rely on Michael for great answers. And we have been all working from home lately, a lot of us, and some of us are never going back. <laughs> Knowledge workers, you do not have to go back. You can stay home and have joy and keep doing that. But there are some things to consider that maybe everybody was in such a rush to get home when everything shut down, they didn't put any of these pieces in place. So we're going to be talking today about security, vulnerabilities, and ways to protect yourself, protect your company, protect your customers, protect your assets, protect with Michael Blood. He is the CEO of Matriax, and he is a software architect, including app development. And you've even done some apps for security, right? To prevent hacking and things, Michael? Yes, to identify the situations where you may have been hacked. Yes. And I know that my nonprofit, Binky Patrol, hosts with him. And I will say, find that wood, knock on that wood. But we have been without any downtime for decades because <laughs> we're 25 years old now. And since Michael took over protecting the network and the hosting environment, nothing gets in there. And I'm so grateful. And I know anybody that I've put over to your company, Michael, for hosting, I know that everything is good because you take care of all of that. So welcome. Well, thank you, Susan. I appreciate the accolades uh, very much. <laughs> and, and it's been a, a, a true pleasure for uh, all of those almost 20 years. <laughs> yes. So has it been almost a true pleasure or for almost 20 years? <laughs> uh, almost 20 years. It has been a pleasure all of those almost 20 years. But good <laughs> clarification for sure. Well, you and I, I was texting you over the weekend because I had some thoughts. And as I was reading articles in the paper and we've seen you know, the recent hacks and the ransomware and all that type of stuff, it brings to mind a lot of companies that think they're protected, that think their hosting is safe, that think everything will keep running because they've put pieces in place. But most of the time, as we know, and you know, they haven't put enough pieces in place. And part of it's from ignorance, part of it's from budget. And with remote working and things, we have to have reliable connections. And a lot of us use things called VPNs. Can you explain to the audience in general how a VPN is different, how it compares to a firewall, personal networks with password protection, what makes it a little more secure, especially when people like GoDaddy, let's just look at them in general, they're all working from home, but they have to be able to get to all these other servers and it slows them down because of their remote access limitations. 
Yeah, uh, well, certainly I can describe what a VPN is in general. VPN stands for Virtual Private Network. And uh, when you're all at the office, uh, for example, and you've got you know, 10 or 50 or 100 computers all connected to each other, that would be considered a private network. And when somebody is remote, meaning they have to connect in, we say dial in, but no one's dialing anymore. It's a, it's a term that comes from uh, 20, 30 years ago when people actually used to have to dial the phone in order to connect in. Anyway, they dial into the network, but if they were to connect into the network, they're kind of poking a hole. And if the network allows that, it can be very insecure and it can let bad actors in. Well, the virtual private network has secure protocols and connections and credentials and limitations that make sure that when people connect in, it is safe. And when you mention speed, that's one of the things people most of the time notice is that uh, as soon as they connect into the virtual private network, the VPN, it's a little bit slower. And that's because it's directing all of the traffic, all of the connectivity over an encrypted network, which is a little bit slower. And then it has to go all the way back to headquarters and then out to the network. So it's just a, a longer, a farther away connection. And it's slowed down by all of the encryption that is trying to keep it secure from people monitoring. So that's a VPN in short. Yeah. So when people are sending their folks home and even now, okay, we're going to do this for good. Let's do it right. We might have to clean up some things. And that's what I think a lot of companies are realizing. They went from the patch and play kind of thing. Let's just go home right now. Let's just get this done. And here's your access and here's your computer and take it all home. And now it's like, okay, we're going to do this long haul or always let it be flex or something. So it's time to clean up our act, time to be a little more secure. If you were to send all your employees home and your office is closed, what would you make sure they had in place? Well, there's, there's several things, and, and we ran into this much like uh, many other businesses. Uh, luckily, we are in a line of work where we already do uh, some of the work remotely, and so we were a little bit more equipped for it. Uh, but as you mentioned, hey, some, some of these companies just jumped right in. I'll first describe maybe a couple of the problems that we saw people running into early. Uh, a lot of people fixed some of these, and some people still have them and don't know. But generally, we can try and ask anybody that is going to be remote to treat the remote workers' network and home environment the same as you would treat your corporate or your office location. If you treat it the same and give it the same security, then you won't need to come up with new policies. Now that's just not the case because when you send someone home, you send them home and they're on a laptop. When we had a new employer right before we sent them home and we didn't have time to get that all set up, we actually found out they, they said they had a computer but really they were sharing it with their daughter who was in high school and they just didn't ever need to work on it at the same time. And we had to quickly change it, but every person has a different environment at home and every different piece of uh, equipment has different vulnerabilities. So when you send them home, you're inviting every vulnerability they have in their home into your business if you're letting them connect from home. So if you treat 
their home environment the same as your work environment, you'll be okay. But there's a lot of nuance to what you have to do to bring their home environment up to speed. And so I've got kind of a couple of items, but I, I want to let you ask some follow-up questions there because I, I realized I just kind of started digging in. <laughs> well, you brought up a great point and some people are limited because not every company had the resources to go buy new computers that were dedicated to the business and send everybody home. It's like, oh, do you have one? Yeah, I have one. And you cited a perfect example. Maybe they even had two separate user accounts. Log out as a daughter, log in as the mom. Log in, you know, log in, log out, log in, log out. But that doesn't make it secure either. And especially if they're over Wi-Fi and like Comcast, we have all these free, you know, I can do free Wi-Fi anywhere I want, but that's sharing it with everybody. That's true. And the VPN you talked about earlier, that helps with a lot of that. It will help to encrypt the traffic between your daughter's laptop at a coffee shop all the way to the office so that people in between your laptop and the office uh, aren't able to view the information. Uh, however, VPNs aren't always used, right? If you just connect up from your home to your company's bank account, perhaps and log in and you don't go over a VPN, anybody could be looking potentially if there's a problem with the computer, maybe the computer has malware on it. Maybe someone's gone to a site that, and they downloaded some software and you don't know about it. So this actually gets to one of the first points that every computer that you do any kind of work on needs to have some minimum standards some minimum specifications and the company should have a policy for that. Does it have antivirus? Has it been scanned? Does it meet minimum specifications for security? And the company should have a policy for that. Now there's a lot of different policies and different opinions about what that should be. But if you have a policy, that means you're thinking about it. And so many companies just jumped into it without even thinking about it. And just thinking about it and putting some good thought behind it is a big first step for a company that started without thinking about it at all. Right. I know I bought that NordVPN, which I was told it's a really good one. The research I did, and I don't know whether it is or not, but it seems to be. But I do find I have difficulty at home using it. It blocks everything for me. I can't get through. So that becomes a configuration thing. So that's one more hurdle. So our, our folks go home with no IT department. They have nobody that can walk them through this stuff. And it's like, well, you got to do all these things and have it in place. Well, I have no clue how to set that up. And I know what tools you want me to use, but how do I troubleshoot? And who has the time to troubleshoot with me? And all those pieces come into place too. So I think it isn't just the equipment. It's where do I go for support on that? Where do I go for help? Do I need to contract with somebody like you, you know, your company to guide me through it? Or do, you know, we need to have somebody internally that's on our team already that knows how to do this and can walk us all through it through a Zoom meeting or something. Okay, this is what you guys need to do. That's another piece. And that becomes part of that onboarding as well as you add more people in that might be knowledge workers that can work from home. Right. And I suppose it's the size of the company that's going to dictate some of that if you're a a five-person company uh, that doesn't have internal resources but still has uh, big security concerns, uh, you, you might need to go to an outsourced group. Uh, I think the place to start would be certainly whoever's managing your internal network uh, should help 
come up with that policy, that would definitely be the place to start. Uh, I know that in some circumstances, what we've done ourselves is we actually required for, for some of the more secure projects that we work on that might be uh, limited to HIPAA or PCI compliant workers, we actually required work computers at home. So they had to take the work computer home because it already had all the software and security that we needed on it. And that's something that your, you know, the, an IT department or your, your managed service provider, whoever might be able to help with. And there also might just be software that you can install. One of the great things about VPNs and larger organizations, enterprise organizations almost always have this. They put requirements that say, in order to connect to our VPN, part of connecting to the VPN requires a scan of your computer to confirm that you have up-to-date antivirus that has passed the recent test. And only then are you allowed to connect into the network. But you can use whatever hardware uh, and equipment you want. So from small to large, there's options. There are, but you know, you brought up a great solution and that's the computer that worked for you in the office, take that home. And then I guess perhaps they would give a list of, and then to connect it, let's make sure these things are in place. Because at the office, we had a firewall, we had a, this, we had that all locked down. So at home now, let's do this checklist. How are you connecting to the internet? What are you using? Right. And, and, even more ideal thing would be to just use the same laptop and just take it with you uh, between places. Sure, that introduces other uh, security concerns as you're taking uh, maybe secure information off premises, but ideally everything would be secure. So if your laptop got stolen, people still would be able to access information. Right, you could lock it all down pretty fast mm -hmm. remotely or erase it if you had to. Well, ideally it would be secure no matter what, until it was unlocked or accessed with uh, credentials. Right, right. So more of those standard procedures that wouldn't be a bad thing for all of us to have, even with our own home computers, family computers, shared computers within our households. I know in our house, we probably have nine devices that are connected to our internet, our modem and everything that's locked down by password, yes but it's a lot of devices. Yeah. Well, you mentioned checklists. Yeah, running through checklists on all the devices you allow access to your network on. You're gonna want several things. I'll just kind of run through some sure, of them. I'm sure we'll come great. back and come back and visit them, but you're gonna want antivirus and you're gonna to want to scan frequently and make sure that the types of scans are in line with whatever security you also need at the office you should have on your the home computer or your remote computer. So antivirus, you're gonna to wanna to have a password policy. That password policy, it should be enforced, but that can be really hard to enforce a password policy. You wanna make sure that you never share passwords, ever. You're gonna to wanna to make ever, sure they're- Ever, ever, ever. <laughs> well, it, it, that's, a, that's an interesting thought because everyone falls victim to the sometime, I, I wouldn't say everyone, there are most certainly people that don't, but I know I run into that situation. I have even had a bank tell me as a consumer to share a password when I said, well, don't I need my own password? And they said, well, just real quick, can you use your wife's? And it was just, you know, it, it was 
absolutely not a problem and I was going to be resetting it, but but there are situations when sharing a password might fit, yes. but the policy should be never. So don't right. share passwords. Most certainly don't use the same password between different sites. 30 years <laughs> ago, this was super, super common practice, yes. really common practice. It still is. Well, it's. I'd like to just pretend that it's not as common as it as it probably is, but because I recommend everybody avoids it. In fact, the app that you had referred to is uh, all about helping people identify a compromised password. And so the app actually shows them what hackers know their passwords associated with their emails are out there. And once they Ooh. see that, they'd be able to say, oh, I really shouldn't be sharing that password after all, someone else does know it. And that, that's the goal of that, of that app out that's there. That's a cool but, app. But it's really interesting because I hear so many times people say, oh yeah, I, I thought some of, you know, one of my passwords, I probably ought to change it, but I didn't realize I had my secure password. You know, and they called it their secure password, but you know, they just put it on one of their, one of the websites and that website got hacked and it wasn't encrypted. And all of a sudden their secure password is available and associated with their email. So never share, never share passwords. And that's, 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 that is difficult. You can't really enforce that. You just have to tell people don't do it. I don't know how you feel about this, but my team, we use LastPass. Yeah. And I know it got hacked before, but it's so rare. But compared to the vulnerability of having your passwords stored in your browser, I mean, is that as bad as I've been taught that it is? Storing your passwords in your in browser? browsers? Um, well, storing it in LastPass is pretty much the same thing as storing it in your browser. Okay. It's pretty close to the same thing because you're storing it with someone else. It's not in your head. Okay. And I personally believe, and it's arguable, there's people across the spectrum on absolutely it's the best thing all the way to it's horrible. As soon as someone hacks that, they've got access to all your bank accounts. So I think it's a, it's a good thing. People do share passwords through LastPass. And I, I think that's kind of an exception to what I was describing before. Right. Once you share a password through LastPass, you really shouldn't consider that to be secure. And you should definitely review that often. But it is a much better way to share them if you have to, than just sending it around via email. Oh gosh, yeah, the email passwords, I, I'm always stop doing that, stop doing that, and deleting doesn't make it go away. But the other option too, I mean, I look at Google Drive, for example, it's encrypted at rest on upload and download. Uh -huh. And you can lock that down and not share it with anybody, not let anybody see it, but you and maybe one other person if you want, or just you. And sometimes passwords get stored there as well. Yeah, that's definitely got pros and cons as well. With something like that, you have a list of a whole bunch of passwords. And sometimes people forget who it's shared with. Yes. And might end up putting in passwords, even if for just a moment, that they don't recognize. And so we'll, we'll just delve in and get into the nitty gritty. Not only can you do that, but in some cases, you might put in passwords then remove them, then share it with someone else without realizing that they might have access to the revision history and see yes. old passwords. So every method of sharing is inherently 
going to have a problem and we can't protect against everything. No, but I appreciate um, you talking about the version history because that's that hard a, to see one. It's People a forgotten forget about that one. It, it's a forgotten one. And going back and reviewing, I, we do a review once a year of sensitive documents. We have them all marked. Anything we go back and see who has permissions for them to make sure permissions oh, have changed great. and that more people haven't been added to it without our knowing it. That, well, that's great. That's a great way to, to mitigate that for sure. I think if you know that the group of people that you're sharing with should always have access to the whole group, regardless of what that group is, uh, no problem. One of the things I really like about the password managers that can share passwords uh, is that you can just share the password with one password with one individual. And it's very clear who has that access. Mm -hmm. And you have the ability to limit it. You have the ability to revoke that access to the password. That doesn't mean they didn't store it somewhere else. Right. There's no guarantee on that either. Uh, no. Um, once you share it with someone, you have to trust that they have the same restraint as you do or that you should have so and same protections in place that they don't get hacked if they've had it stored somewhere so yeah it's just like a freight train on that once it's shared oh uh, well it's true well the possibilities are yes you know but ideally if you don't ever share it with anyone you never have to have that trust level but as soon as you share it with someone uh, you have to have trust in order to make sure it doesn't. As soon as you put it in a password manager, you have to trust that that password manager is secure. Right now, uh, like I was saying, you don't have to be afraid of every type of trust out there in order to use some tools that allow you to get some work done and not being so security conscious that you're inside of a, a shack in the mountains with a metal hat on or something <laughs> the foil hats i have a bunch of foil hats some with flowers some not yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well and, and we we could really dig in deep on every single thing and as you can see i kind of geek out on it and I'll, I'll go i'll go deep down rabbit holes of potential problems uh and i'm not even i'm not even as crazy deep as it could get but but I realize we're just trying to talk about some practical things you can put in place. So these are I'll, I'll jump out of the. Okay. okay. Well, okay. these, but these are really practical things that people in companies need to realize as they're making that decision. Are we forcing everybody to come back? Are we giving them the option of flex? Or are we just saying, you know, this is working out great. We're more productive than ever, which most companies should be. And do we continue to have that level of trust? Because their interviewing process will become different as well. But I've read about a couple of companies that were actually kind of punishing employees by docking their pay if they don't come back to the office, even though they were more productive and their bottom line went up while they were gone because of that control thing. They're so afraid. And if your team is you know, doing better, why not support that? Revisit some of the things we've just been covering. The network setup, the security, the procedures, what best practices are for our company, what our security requirements are for our company and let them continue to be more productive and happy. As a security geek, I don't know that I can weigh in on all of those uh, as, <laughs> you know, as though the, the industry should have an opinion, but uh, personally, I kind of recognize and trust that there's probably reasons for everything and there's probably a spectrum out there and uh, it's probably not an either or uh, for, right. for either of those. It's probably not reasonable to say everyone should always 
be unhappy and in person. Uh, and there's probably not a situation where everyone should be in person and controlled. It's probably more Correct. like, yeah. And, and I know for me, we have situations where we can be remote and it's absolutely fine. And mm -hmm. we've got complex projects where uh, it's just not, it's just not possible to get things done in a tight timeline uh, without everybody, including some of our customers in the same room as we're working on projects in order to get it done quickly uh, without scheduling calls or whatever it might be. We need that. Now, I guess that just means there's probably some nuance to different situations, but if people aren't happy, I suggest they don't work there. Like really, I, uh, that's, that's the bottom line. Like uh, there are so many opportunities out there. Go get them. <laughs> right. So that to me is a good ending to that one. That was a very thorough visit to me on that topic. Never miss an episode. Check out rootedinrevenue.com and subscribe on the site to get weekly updates of when new episodes come out. Or find us on iTunes, Stitcher Radio. We want to be where you are, so go subscribe. We'll get you all the information you need to do your best with marketing of events and your online presence. <laughs>